Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, we continue in our Unlikely Hero series this morning by looking at the life of Nicodemus. If you haven't picked up one of those study guides, I want to encourage you to grab that. There's additional passages to look at in there. There's additional uh, study helps for you to keep working in uh, getting the most out of these messages going forward. So let me encourage you to grab one of those and take notes while you're here as well. Um, Nicodemus is such a good character to study for two reasons. One... He is a seeker, a searcher of truth, and that opens him up to the gospel. But he is also one who is in a bit of process. Uh, You may remember his story is most clearly told in John chapter 3, but you see him taking, being a part of taking Christ off the cross in John 17. And in between those two and a half years, he continues to grow in his understanding of who Jesus is. That means a couple things to us. It means God is incredibly patient. And so if you're working with someone or there's someone in your family who you're saying, I just can't believe, they don't believe yet, I would just remind you of the value of God's patience there. And it also means that if you're one who's looking and seeking and searching, that God's truth is available to you. So wherever you are on that spectrum, whether you're the one that's looking or you're the one that's working with the one that's looking, Nicodemus provides this great example for us. Will you stand with me out of respect for the word as we read through the passage together? John chapter 3, I'll pick up the reading at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You may be seated. 
Perhaps you, like me, suddenly found when you were quoting, when I was reading John 3.16, the melody popped back in your head. I didn't, I didn't hear anybody clapping there, but it was kind of like all of a sudden, whoa, we just sung that this morning. And a great reminder that of all the things we sing, of all the things we give praise to God for, um, giving praise to him for the gift of his son is without question the greatest. Let me just give you three things that we want to notice in Nicodemus' life. Here they are. Number one, moral inconsistencies exist in our lives of which we are often unaware. Moral inconsistencies exist in our lives of which we are often unaware. Um, Perhaps you've been a believer for years. Perhaps you've been a believer for a few months. That still doesn't mean that we are morally perfect or that there aren't moral inconsistencies. And most significantly, I think, those inconsistencies are things of which we are often unaware. And I just want to point this out to you. Look at chapter 3, if you have your Bibles there, in verse 2. For there we read, um, look at how Nicodemus talks about what he knows about who God is. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. In other words, Nicodemus thought he knew certain things about Christ. But the truth of the matter is, he didn't understand what he didn't know. And we find that over in chapter 3, verse 10. For there, Jesus points out to him, um, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, I speak to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. In other words, Jesus says, listen, Nicodemus, while I'm appreciative of the fact that you came, that you want to talk to me, even as a Pharisee, you don't really yet know who I am. You don't know certain things, but you think you know lots of things. Now, for just a moment, let me explain to you how that came to be. Those moral inconsistencies in the New Testament were really evidence in a couple of people, what we call the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees, um, let me just give you a brief history lesson here. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, you won't find in the Old Testament because those two sects actually develop during the 400 silent years between the book of Malachi and the opening of the book of Matthew. The Pharisees were religiously conservative, okay? They loved the Bible, they studied the Bible. But they were politically liberal. That means they wanted to change the politics of the world. They did not like the fact that Rome was ruling their country, and they did everything they could to try to kick Rome out. So just know this, they loved the Bible, but they wanted to get Rome out of there. The Sadducees on the other side were just the opposite. History tells us that they were politically conservative, biblically, or religiously liberal. They didn't really believe the word in the same way that the Pharisees did, but they were politically conservative. They liked Rome. They liked Rome because Rome gave them power, and you may remember it was the Sadducees that rose up to the position of the high priest. They paid Rome. Rome let them stay in power. They kind of had this thing going on under the table. Here's the thing. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees struggled with hypocrisy, and Jesus had no problem singling them out for that. In fact, maybe that's how we can unpack these moral inconsistencies. They exist in our life of which we are often unaware, and here is why. Because we develop rules that are easy and make us feel good about ourselves or make us feel better about ourselves. Nicodemus, purely, was a legalist, though he was seeking. He had a set of rules as a Pharisee that he kept, and those rules probably made him feel superior to the others around him. Okay. That same process works today. 
The moment you walk into Wawa and you see someone and in your mind you say, hmm, I'm not like them, okay? You're just like a Pharisee. Whatever you see, whatever your eyes see, whatever you perceive, you have a rule internally and you judge others with that rule so that you can feel better about yourself. And here's the thing, we most often choose the rules that are easiest for us. Now for just a moment, um, just know that whenever you try to do something right, you usually don't choose the hardest thing either, you choose the easiest thing when it comes to making something right. Um, I, I have a preference to uh, kind of the kind of music that, uh, I don't know, I'm gonna make a confession here, kind of like John Denverish kind of music, okay? Now, don't judge me, I just told you not to judge me, okay? But there's a great story told about John Denver and his first wife. He came back um, from, a, from a trip, and uh, his wife, they were at odds with one another, and his, his wife had cut down all of the 100-year-old pine trees in their front yard, okay? Like, that did not go over well with John Denver, right? And John Denver attempted to make it right, and you know what he did to make it right? He went in the back room, and he came out, and he said, um, I want to make this right. She was asking him, as many wives often ask their husbands to do certain things, and he said, here, I wrote you a song. That has always convicted me because he only did what was easy for him to do, not the things that his wife desired for him to do. Now, know this. You and I work the same way. Wherever there's a conflict, we come back and we do the things that are easy for us to do. And then we assume that we should be applauded as if we did something that was sacrificial. I would encourage you that that's kind of how the human heart works. We make rules that are easy, and we feel better when we keep them. That's something we have in common with the Pharisees. And look what Jesus said to them. He points that out so clearly in Luke chapter 11. But woe to you Pharisees, he said, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. That is, whatever you're growing in your garden, you cut off a tenth of it and you give it, right? And you neglect justice and the love of God. Jesus just singles them out, says, you do these things, but you're not doing the things that really matter. Those you ought to have done, he said, without neglecting the others. Here's the second idea. We evaluate, we elevate relationships over what is right. The reason we become legalistic and have moral inconsistencies is they exist in our lives and we're often unaware of them because we develop rules that are easy and make us feel better about ourselves and we elevate relationships over what is right. This happens all the time, and Jesus singles this out too. He says, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. You're not doing what is right to do because you would rather protect your relationships. See, same pattern happens today. But there's one more. Notice this. He goes on to say, uh, in Matthew 23, well, let me go back and show you this passage real quickly. See how in this passage he says, last verse, 44, woe to you, you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. You say, what in the world does that mean? It means that they internally had things that they hid from people and people walked past them thinking they were righteous when they were not righteous. 
In fact, Jesus makes that really clear in Matthew 23 when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So also outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Uh, when, when you would come into um, the, the area of Jerusalem, they would whitewash tombs because the one thing you couldn't do as a Jewish person was get close to a tomb, touch it without realizing it. Like you're tired, you sit down against it and you lean against it and someone comes along and says, you're leaning against the tomb and you would have to say, oh no, I can't do any worship or Sabbath because I've touched something that is unclean. So what they did was they put whitewash on those tombs so that you'd see them. It was like a big sign that said, warning, do not touch. And so people would see them. And when you'd stand back at a distance, like in Jerusalem, and look down from the hills, you'd see those whitewashed tombs out there. And Jesus says, looking out at them, he says, you look white on the outside, you look clean on the outside. But inside, there's a body rotting. And that's the last part of this hypocrisy. We refuse to acknowledge our secret sins. We just don't like to talk about them. We don't admit them to others, and we do our best not to admit them to ourselves. There are moral inconsistencies that exist in all of our lives, some of which we're aware of and some of which we are not aware of. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. He had moral inconsistencies and Jesus didn't have a problem saying, Nicodemus, you said you knew, you knew, but you really don't understand, right? Here's the second idea. Genuine knowledge of Jesus is the only real stimulus to change. That's right. Genuine knowledge of Jesus is the only real stimulus to change. Now, one of the reasons why I love the life of Nicodemus is because you can see him change literally in one gospel book, the Gospel of John. It's the only one that tells a story. And he makes changes. Now, that's the beauty. Like, you find hope when you're changing, right? And so here it is. Just let me give you three kinds of questions that Nicodemus asks um, the first one is a curiosity question. He says, uh, that, notice, notice in this curiosity question, it says that this man came by night. He's, it's, this is, there's no commitment here. He's coming at night so the other Pharisees don't know that he's going to talk to Jesus because they're not, they're, not, they're not in love with Jesus. They're opposed to Jesus. So he slips in there at night, and here's what he says. He begins to ask Jesus questions. Okay? I call those curiosity questions. There's no commitment if you're coming at night. Nobody even knows you're there. That moves to a discovery question. By the time you get to John chapter seven, after Jesus has talked to Nicodemus in John three, about a year and a half later, Nicodemus in the Sanhedrin stands up when everybody's criticizing Jesus and he makes this statement. He said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? That should tell you two things. That the conversation in John chapter three had impacted Nicodemus. He's no longer there like a Pharisee. He's there among Pharisees saying, wait, wait a minute, you guys are judging him, but you've not heard what he said, and you're not, you're not actually seeing, you're not actually learning what he's doing, okay? You're just judging him. And immediately they say to him, listen, you study the scriptures. Pharisees always talk about the scriptures. You study the scriptures. Can a prophet come out of Galilee? And the answer to that would be actually yes, right? Because that's where Jonah was from. But they don't care, and you gotta know this, when someone has an agenda and position, they don't care about the, tr that, about the answers, they just wanna maintain their position. Nicodemus has discovery questions here because he's searching for truth. And then I wanna call this last set, revealing questions. In, in the end of Christ's life, Nicodemus takes an open stand in favor of Jesus. 
Because you remember, and here's the question, Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus came alongside uh, Joseph of Arimathea and together they took the body of Jesus. And that's a commitment. At that stage, Nicodemus is saying, listen, I didn't only ask questions, I listened, I learned, I discovered truth, and now I'm taking a stand with Christ. You say, well, what did those questions lead him to? And to do that, we gotta go back and look at John chapter three again. When you believe in Jesus, he will, that is, Jesus will do these three things. Here they are, cleanse from sins of the past, provide a new heart in the present, and promise eternal life in the future. And he does all of that, those three things, he communicates to Nicodemus by using the Old Testament. Now, this is really fascinating, okay? So just kind of stay with me. Look with me at John chapter three again and what he says. Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, depending on how long you've been a Christian, you've probably got a bunch of answers for what water and spirit mean here, okay? Some have said, listen, when a person is physically born, um, the woman's water breaks. The child is born of water, and then later they would be born again of the spirit, a physical birth and a spiritual birth. I don't think that's what it means, Some of you grew up believing that it meant baptism, unless you're born of water and the Spirit. So baptism also was a part of your salvation, okay? Here's a secret. I don't think that's what it means, okay? You say, Pastor Phil, what does it mean? I think to understand what it means, you have to ask the question, what did Nicodemus understand it to mean? That's a valid question, right? Before we interpret it from 2,000 years of church history, we should stop and say, What would Nicodemus have understood it to mean? Now, Nicodemus, you know, is a student of the law. He's a student of the Old Testament. And there is only one place in the entire Old Testament where the term water and spirit show up in the same passage. So when Jesus says, unless you're born of water and spirit, when Nicodemus steps away from that conversation that night without question, going back to the scriptures, this is probably what he thinks of. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 There we read, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. There it is, water, spirit, in the same passage. What does it mean? Well, the water there clearly meant that God was going to clean them. He was going to wash them. He was going to cleanse them. This gives us tremendous hope. Just know this, whatever you have In your past, when you come to faith in Christ, he cleanses you from that. Now, just for a moment, picture your Nicodemus. You leave the conversation with Jesus, you go back, you're studying your Old Testament scroll, you're looking at Ezekiel 36, you're saying, all my life I've wanted to be clean. What did Jesus mean when he said I had to be born again? He meant that I was gonna be cleansed from the things of my past. Like, I wouldn't feel that anymore. The guilt that I feel, I wouldn't have anymore. I would be set clean in my relationship between myself and God the Father. But there's another thing that is promised. Not only that you get the sins of your past taken care of, but by looking at that passage, Nicodemus would have understood something else, that God would provide a new heart in the present. Go back with me and look at the text. Clean water, and then in verse 26, a new spirit. But look what he says first. I will give you a new heart. That is, you will have the ability to do things that you didn't have to do before. We, we sung that this morning. Maybe it just went past you. We sung of the fact that in Jesus, we had freedom. Right? The things that held us before didn't have the same 
hold over us now. And notice how that passage goes on to say that. See how it's bolded? And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Nicodemus probably looks at this passage and he says, that's what I want. And Nicodemus must have understood that because he had not yet believed in Christ, he said, I know of you, I know you're a good teacher, I know you do some signs, but I haven't come to really truly believe in who you are as the Son of God. Because he wasn't there yet, he must have said, that's what I'm missing. I not only have the guilt from my past, but I have the problem with my present. I don't have a new heart. Now that does two things, real quickly. If you are struggling, it should give you hope. And it should be a little convicting. When you say, I just can't get over this. I'll never get over this sin. I always struggle with this sin. I've struggled with it. And I'm not successful in defeating it. So what's the use? I just want to remind you, that's the improper way to think about it. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. You have a new heart within you. Sometimes we mess this up a little theologically because we say something like, well, you know, I still have the old man. No, 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 you don't. When you come to faith in Christ, you have a new heart. The old man has died. You've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he lives in you. This is the point. You're not allowed to be hopeless because you do have the ability now to live for Christ. And you're not allowed to be apathetic. What's the use, Phil? I've struggled with this all my life. I'll never get over it. Yes, you have the ability to do it. And that's why Romans 6 says, listen, whatever you give yourself to, do you not know that whatever you choose to obey, then you're the slave of whatever you choose to obey? So again, live in conjunction with your new heart, even though it's still in the body of flesh, not in conjunction with the old patterns of life. But there's one more, and Jesus marks this in Ezekiel 36, and, and, and references this in John 3. It isn't there in Ezekiel 36, but it is there in John 3. He gives the promise of eternal life in the future. See it? Past, present, future. Nicodemus must have stepped back and said, man, what Jesus offers, he probably thought while he's sitting there in those Sanhedrin meetings and they're bashing Jesus, you have no idea what this man offers. Okay. Past, present, future. And notice how he says this. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, just say it with me, but have eternal life. And notice the focus on belief here. Whoever believes, down in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This conversation is working with Nicodemus. He must have walked away saying, man, what is eternal life and how do I get it? One more thing, here we are. Moral inconsistencies exist in our lives of which we're often unaware. Genuine knowledge of Jesus is the only real stimulus to change. You wanna know how Nicodemus went from visiting by night to being there at the cross and taking down the body of Christ? It was because he understood that the more he discovered about Jesus, the more he desired to make those internal changes. But there's one last one. Real courage grows out of a firm belief more than an emotional reaction. We live in an emotional society, okay? I get it. Um, we like to get pumped up about our favorite sports teams. Um, we also like to blame them when they're not playing well, okay? And you don't have to go far. Like 10 days ago, you were probably blaming. Today, you're cheering. and You're wearing your red and white and proud of them, okay? So you get the idea. We're very emotional people. 
What I want to remind you of in the text is that courage, particularly in Nicodemus' life, grew not out of an emotional reaction, but out of a firm belief. He is sitting in a room of Sanhedrins. Are you with me with this? He is sitting there with a bunch of people who are judging, emotionally reacting, screaming, ripping their clothes and saying, listen, this man blasphemes, speaking of Jesus. In all of that, Nicodemus just sits. You never hear him say anything, but something very logical, like, um, doesn't our law say that we should hear and, and listen and learn what he's doing first? Like, courage grew out of a firm belief more than an emotional reaction. And it was one thing, I think, that Jesus said that captured Nicodemus' heart. And in study this week, I couldn't believe I'd never seen this before. I guess I'd known it. I just had never put the connection together. One of the last things Jesus says to Nicodemus is verse 14 in John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, the first part of that verse, Nicodemus would fully understand, right? Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. If you're not familiar with that story, um, that's when God sent poisonous asp, and those snakes began to bite the people, and they began to die. And all of a sudden, he said, listen, Moses, in order for them to heal, they've got to repent. So here's how we're going to see the repentance. I want you to take a snake. I want you to put it on a post. And if they look at the snake, they'll be healed. They just got to look. They just got to have the faith to look, and they'll be healed. Now, for just imagine, moment, just imagine that your uh, mother or your father was out walking back in Old Testament Israel, and they were bitten by one of the snakes. And you say to them, listen, mom, just go down with me. I'll walk with you. I'll take you down there. Just go down there with me and look at that snake on the post. And, and people are getting healed down there. They're getting healed if that's all they do. Right. And your mom says, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'm too tired to go. I, th I think I'll get better on my own if I just stay here. Right? No, mom, you gotta go, you gotta go, you gotta look at the snake. Right? And then you'll be healed. Or maybe somebody else said, listen, I'm blaming God for the fact that I'm sick. He's the one who sent the snakes. I'm blaming him for the fact that I'm sick, and there is no way I'm gonna look at that snake. Okay? Can you imagine, even if you drug your best friend down to the foot of where that snake is on the post and they're dying and you said, look, and they say, I'm not looking. You cannot make them look. Are you with me? Because to look is to say, I believe that this will save me. This is really fascinating because he would have known this story. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Nicodemus would have known it. In fact, because Jesus said it, I, I think Nicodemus is a scholar. He's a student. He probably went back and re-looked at that passage again. What did Jesus mean? What did Jesus mean? What did Jesus mean? But the thing you know about Nicodemus is that when Christ was on the cross, he came to take the body off the cross. I love Peter Paul Rubin's rendition of this. He calls this the descent of the cross. He painted three different images of this. This is just one of them. And he places John, uh, John the disciple here at the, at, the, um, at the right of him. And I think it's Nicodemus he's trying to portray to the left of Christ's body with his scholarly hat on and in his robe as a Pharisee. Just want you to picture this. This is when Nicodemus understands, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
He knows from the Old Testament that healing came. But I think this is the moment Nicodemus says, this is what Christ meant. He was lifted up, and if we looked at him, we would have eternal life if we believed. It's a remarkable thing, really. It's a great reminder that wherever you are in your life, this is all that is expected. This is all that God asks. Look to Jesus, who on the cross died to pay for your sins and for my sins. Because in looking to Jesus, you are saying, I believe. I believe, like Nicodemus, that Christ died for our sins. You see, real courage doesn't grow out of some emotional response. It doesn't grow out of you running out of the building shouting. It grows from a belief in Christ that continues to be affirmed and grow. And the more you know of Jesus, the more you understand coming to faith in him is the real stimulus for your change. The more you believe about Jesus, the more that you will have the opportunity to become who it is that God wants you to become. Will you bow your heads with me? Des is gonna come and close us with some worship songs this morning and, and uh, just songs of praise. Just a great way to kind of end a service where uh, we've been looking at the cross, but with your heads up, just let me ask you this question. Maybe you've struggled with your own moral inconsistencies. You've got secret sins you think nobody knows. God knows. Okay. Maybe you've struggled with uh, not knowing Jesus well, but this morning you're beginning to see that he truly was the Son of God. The Bible teaches that came and died in our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life. But maybe you've just never said, I believe. To you, Jesus is one option among many as opposed to the only real option for eternal life. But wherever you are this morning, I'd invite you to just pray with me. Say, Phil, I, I believe. Then just voice it back to God in a prayer. You might want to say something like, Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I have hidden sins. But I believe that you came and you died on the cross for my sins to save me. I'm turning from them and turning to you. Take a moment there and quietly thank him for that. For the rest of us, if you've been a believer for years, it's just a great opportunity to remember our hope is not in our strength, it's not in our strategies, it's not in our habits, it's not in the accountability we have from all of our friends. Our hope of change is found in Jesus. So take a moment and just thank him for the fact that he made possible for you forgiveness of sins, a new heart, and in your future, eternal life forever. Just thank him. Father, indeed, we are grateful. We give you praise. We are thankful for Jesus most of all. 
And today we just want to give you praise again because we've had a chance to look at him on the cross again through Nicodemus' eyes and realize that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Thank you for sending your son. And we love you more because we know of the great love and sacrifice you made on our behalf. Thank you for loving us well. In your son's precious name we pray, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mulligan Hill.